Welcome once again into the Soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 31. As we always like to do here when we open the program is to encourage you to download, share, rate, review our podcast. We have a very exciting one here today. The only man who's more OG than me, JP Della Camera, the true voice of American soccer, Hall of Famer through the years. We'll talk about our industry. We'll talk about the U.S. men's national team, as well as what the U.S. women have done. Maybe we'll get a few tips on if you want to get into this business. A lot of know-how here on display. We will also stick around. Stoppage time. It is condensed because the JP interview went long, as I expected. It is condensed by part of the giveaway. So stick around there, and we'll see if you have what it takes to win a bumpy pitch Pullover slash sweatshirt. Very, very nice. Let's get going. We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. Yes, we are back. And uh, great interview coming up in the business end. I go head to head with a lot of folks, but someone who knows more about broadcasting and the sport than I do, covering it for longer than I have. I don't want to make him feel old. JP Delacamera joining us in the business end. I just recorded it. It is very, very good. I think you will enjoy it. And we'll have some news about that also on their MASL, Major Arena Soccer League, and uh, something he's working on. You know, I always look at things to see if they have potential. And even before JP came on, I talked to some folks with the Ontario Fury. And MASL, Major Arena Soccer League, I don't know if I said that incorrectly, it's worth taking a peek. You know, it's a smaller league, but it's got uh, it's got some interesting developments already. So we'll talk about that as well. But obviously the U.S. men and the U.S. women front and center. In stoppage time, I was going to talk about the, uh, the reports coming led by Arsene Wenger and the possibility of a World Cup every two years. As I've said so many times in the past, if things like this keep coming up, it means it's going to happen. And perhaps this gets the support down the road. It can't happen any sooner than 2028, but uh, perhaps it does come through. And I'll let you know maybe some of the benefits. Now, if we don't talk about it here, it will be. That's my topic this week on the Soccer OG on YouTube. Go to Max Bretos and you can see it. And I will expand on the topic there. A lot to talk about. So, uh we also want to discuss the U.S. men's national team. The three World Cup qualifiers have concluded. They have three more coming up in October. How's this team going to look different? That's another subject that we will address here in the weeks ahead, days ahead. Man, it's going to be very cool. There's never You can't catch your breath with this sport. It's bananas. What can I tell you? We're going to get right into the business end and the interview with JP Delacamera. I think you will enjoy it. We even have some good old Fox Soccer Day yarns. Those are always good. Maybe feel a little old, but I'm the OG. What can I tell you? Let's go. We are back here on the Soccer OG, and this week I generally have issues labeling myself that because I'm really here with the Soccer OG. The soccer OG himself, JP Telecamera, my good friend. I miss our meetings at BDL Airport in, <laughs> in Hartford, Springfield. As I'm going somewhere, you're leaving. How are you? I'm great. That's where we always met. That was our meeting place, right? If, if people ever saw us together, it was at Bradley Airport. Otherwise, they didn't see us together. 
<laughs> it happened. There's a yeah. good spot. Yeah. It's uh well, it's what an exciting time. And you know, but I got to hear your voice a lot with uh obviously the women's world cup and doing some stuff with Fox as well. And it gets me, you know, it gets me very sentimental because I gotta tell you this. I remember when I started in the business, so I was at Fox and I became you know being the voice of Fox Soccer channels like 96, 97. And the first big property we had was the 1997 Copa America in Bolivia. And I had not really called a game yet, but I'm like, I would sit there in VO booths looking at what's coming in feeds. I was, I was hooked. I go, this is what I want to do this sport. And I was 25. So, I mean, it took a little while to figure that out. Although I kind of knew I positioned myself and because of the big event, they brought in you and Glenn Davis right. to call the games. And you, you may not be aware of this because I, I don't want to be a creeper, but <laughs> I would sit out. <laughs> <laughs> I would sit outside the rooms and you guys have a conference room. And I remember I'd be in there and I'd listen to what you did. And I, I have, I have the final of that game, just almost photo completely. What is it? Uh, I've, I've lost my train of, but you know, it, it's memorized, memorized in my mind. Yeah. Almost every moment. And it was you and Glenn. And again, this was high altitude in Brazil, which a great Brazilian team wanted against Bolivia who hosted it and got to the final. And I always leaned into that. Remember, and I, what what I saw you guys do and how you prepared rubbed off a lot on me. So I want to, I don't know if I ever told you that, but I remember that no, you, very vividly. You never did. You never did. But <laughs> let me tell you what I remember about that, right? I remember um, doing a game, you know, with Glenn. And I don't remember the producer's name, but it's it's no one that's there now. But the producer said to me. Was it Caesar Satil? No, no. Okay. No. Uh, he said at halftime of the game, we're going to show highlights, you know, from the previous games. And I thought, okay, you know, and I was used to working at ESPN and, you know, getting a nice shot sheet. So you would know how to lead in, use your analyst, all these highlights. Right. And I said to the guy, you know, where's the, where's the script? And, and he said, there is none. He says, but you guys will figure it out. And I'm looking at it and it must've been like, it was probably two minutes. It felt like seven or eight minutes max. Thank God Glenn had seen some of the other games and I think had called some of them because we had no reference points. And I thought, man, I hope this isn't the way they do things at, at Fox Soccer Channel. And I, I'm thinking to myself, we were running blind with it, you know? So I do remember that story. That was my, my first experience. It was the only time, you know, something bad happened there. But I also remember, um, you remember Dermot McCory, who was our boss then. I still stay in touch with Dermot from time to time. So, yeah. Well, well, I said hello. I certainly will. He said to me in 1997, outside one day, just in conversation, he said, JP, I'm going to tell you. He said, one day you'll be able to broadcast a game right from your house. And I said, no chance. Dermot. What are you even talking about? And he said, they have the technology now. We can bring it into Fox. We can bring it into any other place. Why not your home? And even though I've never done a game from my house, nor do I want to, but during COVID, as you know, a lot of broadcasts were done from people's homes. So Dermot was way ahead of his time when he said that. It was 1997. I know Grant Wall recently had Dermot on one of his pods. I got to do that. and have. I want to do this maybe four or five part series about that channel because I, th I think people would be into it because it was, it was wild. It was just get these games up. Yeah. And I know you've always said this to me when I was coming through there because I would be frustrated. It goes, I want to go to the games. I want to do them from sight. And you would go, what you're doing with the monitors will help you in the big picture because limiting your 
point of view will teach you how to trust your instincts. Don't overstep uh, the commentary. You know, call what you see. Right. And that's fill all in you the gaps. can do. Yeah. That's all you can do off the monitor, right? So anything else is a guess, right? So uh, if it's the only time you see the exact same thing that the viewer sees. And I, I don't know if, if they recognize that or appreciate that, but that's a true statement, right? When you're calling a game off the monitor, uh, some people have said, you know, do you have this big TV screen or, you know, do you see something different than I do? No. In fact, my TV is probably smaller that I'm calling it off of than, than Max Bredos living room television. Yeah, we, I had, we had those we tiny had monitors. Screen, right? <laughs> so if you learn, I, I, I think if I call games off the monitor, uh, it helps me when I get to the stadium and vice versa. I, I think both, both ways to call a game help when you have to do it the other way. Right. And it's, I've learned it because sometimes you would invent, I would invent some things. I go, don't do that. Just call it and be honest with the, the audience too about the, and it's, everyone knows that now, I mean, that we, we broke this do. fourth wall because we, I, I saw CBS where they had the U S qualifiers and they're talking to Mo, Mo do like, all right, you got to call the game. So there's no more of this right. pretending the we're there. Gone. Right. Yeah. The mystery is gone. And before they used to say, you know, don't bring it to anybody's attention. You don't really have to. I mean, if if people see you opening up a show, your pregame show, and you're behind a desk, and now you're calling the game, well, they they pretty much know you're you're not in Honduras or you're not in Guatemala or you're not in uh, El Salvador, right? They know you're in Los Angeles or you're in Bristol, Connecticut, or or wherever you're calling the games from. I think we should have kept the uh, uh, the lie going because, like, the wrestling business did when they say, "No, it's real." Yeah, it's yeah, real yeah. fun. You mean it isn't? <laughs> We're really, I'm amazingly, I was in a studio in LA and now I'm in Guatemala City and I'll be back in LA in 45 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey, you could do two games in a day now easily, right? But you probably know this too, Max, from all the compliments that you've had in your life. The, the biggest compliments to me have come when somebody has said, um, when did you get back from? Yeah. Well, wow. Nice. When you, get, when you get back from the Olympics, uh, we'll have coffee. We'll have lunch in New York. And I would say, I'm in New York. We can have coffee tomorrow. What do you mean? You know, and these are television people. So if you do it the right way, you can, nobody knows. It's true. Nobody knows. You could, you could make a radio call off of a television set, right? Or a TV call. And if you do your job the right way, then nobody really knows. They can say that they know they're lying. I would, uh, uh, I want to do games from site and I hope I know this is the way the, the business is going, but it, it allows you to do more games. It allows you to be more flexible. So you sacrifice some things, but you know, every now and then we'd like to be there because it's, it's the most wonderful place to be. It is. I mean, it, uh, being in the stadium is, is the best atmosphere. You're, you know, pre COVID anyway, you know, you're with the supporters, you hear them, you see them, you interact with them. You know, that's what we missed during COVID. Um, the fake noise, the fake mat, you know, um, I understand why it was done, but it's, it's totally different. Even with 3000 people, when we had limited fans last year, those 3000 sounded like 13,000 in Philly and it felt more, more like you were at home. Right. So, yeah. you know, I, I like to do the games from the stadium. There are some stadiums, you know, which ones they are, where I would rather call the game off the monitor because it's a baseball stadium, the sight lines are not good. You cannot do as good of a job in that stadium as you can, you know, off of a television monitor. Same thing with 
if you're way too high in a stadium. You want to be able to identify players, right? And you're not using binoculars. You're not using a spotter like they do in the NFL. So you have to be comfortable calling the game, right? Remember I mean, the old, the old giant right. stadium, that 10-minute that oh, yeah. elevator ride to yeah. the broadcast position? Yeah, you thought, you, you thought you'd never get there. You thought you'd go to the Empire State Building instead of Giant Stadium. but Get a you know, nosebleed. Yeah, that's why I like the places like uh, where the Galaxy, what's the new name now? Dignity Health, Dignity Health Sports Park. But I, I always call it the Home Depot Center because that's what you know yeah. I, I do it as. To me, even though all the new stadiums are, are better, far better than anything we've ever had, um, I still have like a preference at times for Home Depot because that was like really the first luxury one that I can yeah. remember. Uh, and you know the broadcast view was very good. You know there are there are so many good ones in the league now that you know you'd love to go out and call games from from every place, but. Um, my preference is call the game from the stadium whenever possible, wherever possible. Uh, the advantage of off the monitor is that you can do more games. You know, you could do a game on Friday, a game on Saturday without even traveling, you know, depending on where you are. You know, you can do a tournament like at Fox, whether it's Gold Cup or Copa America. Um, World Cups, they always travel people to. But, you know, if you're doing World Cup qualifiers, whatever, you know, you can call Call a game tonight, call one tomorrow, and you're you're not traveling. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. The way you, Freak, right? the way you Where spun it there. Those jobs, Max. Where do we apply? <laughs> Sign me up. All right. I, I know I work for LAFC, and there's a rivalry between the two LA clubs, but I'll never say a disparaging word about the home, the, the place formerly known as the Home Depot Center. It is first class. I remember when they were building it, I'd see Tim Wiki and I would do little golf cart trips around there as you see it getting built. And it's held up and the amount of events they have had, it's, it has to have paid for itself a couple times over. Remember the well, X remember, games when they bring hey, all the dirt in and they'd have, hey, they'd have rally cars going through there. Remember, remember, remember when Chivas came into the league, Chivas had to pay them to use the stadium. And as I remember, it wasn't cheap. And I think they, did they also get an indemnity fee? I can't remember. There was something where they benefited the galaxy from Chivas playing there. What about the Chargers? The Chargers played there, what, two, three years? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's, that's right. a nice fat check. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to think uh, that they've made money in that yeah. stadium. I gotta that's think. what you want. I mean, that's yeah. what everyone wants. Right. And they were able to do that. And some good things. You had some boxing events. They had a velodrome. They had tennis. You know, Serena, Williams, some great athletes, some great concerts have yeah. been held there. So uh, nothing bad about it. They did. I think. Right. They did X Games every year, and what they would they, what they would do to the venue would be unbelievable. I mean, they would it would be a metamorphosis, and they would have all these jumps and skateboarding venues. And again, the, they took out the field inside the stadium and put dirt, and cars were going through there. So it was a, yeah. uh, it was pretty special. I got to tell you before I forget about a a funny story that involved Glenn Davis, who I brought up. And Fox in the early days. So they didn't have the satellite feed. So we do these City A games. They would send it. And I was doing, I think, a Bundesliga game. And Glenn was waiting. And they had to go on the air at 1, I believe. So they're getting the tape. And it's like 12.56. And they're, oh, yeah. they go, we got the tape. We got the tape. So they put it in. Glenn starts calling it. And he goes, oh, excellent. Da, 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 da. So the, that was the first half. And then they get the tape for the second half. But when they sent the feed... <laughs> I know they where said, you're going. They sent it yep. in reverse, and I'll never forget what Glenn said because it was, it was like Simone Inzaghi, and he goes, second half starts, you know, Lazio up one zip. Oh, Inzaghi scores, 
a carbon copy from the first half. And then he has, skips a beat and he's quiet and he just realizes what happened. <laughs> the yeah. crazy things that happened. But he, as a true pro, he muscled through there because they couldn't get off the air. Eventually they did. And then they, they had to redo it again later, which obviously was a yeah. big inv- inconvenience. Yeah. I had a game like that at ESPN. It was in Argentina. And it was uh, just like a regular league game. We always got like some bad feeds. This is before they had HD. And I, I was doing a game with Tommy Smith. And the halftime whistle sounds... <laughs> And I see a few guys like exchanging jerseys and I, I'm looking at Tommy and he's looking at me. I hit talk back, you know, while we're still like on air and I'm saying, guys, do we have, we have the wrong tape in? And he says, no, why? And I said, why are they exchanging jersey? Seems like, like a premature. Did we, just, did we just do the second half? And there was a big scramble at halftime and come to find out, I think it was maybe three players that knew they were going to be out, you know, at halftime, but I had never seen a jersey exchange on the field at the end of the first half. Never seen it before. So I thought, how are we going to explain this one? Because we were live then, but we didn't have to because, you know, it was the right tape. Oh, that's good. It thickens up the skin for your, your broadcast career. Uh, let's, talk about, let, let's talk about some things that are happening now. And obviously, we, we, we're all invested in this U.S. men's national team. They come off these first three World Cup qualifiers, five points, which I thought would have been a good target. It was, it's been really odd, JP, because we have this golden generation, if we can call them that. We don't know yet. But uh, they come in here at El Salvador, Canada at home, and then at Honduras. And Tyler Adams was interviewed, and he's going, where are the targets? Nine points. I'm like, you know, that'd be great. But is, is it uh, wishful thinking? Probably. It certainly was in hindsight. Then people said seven points. I go, if you get seven points out of this three, start booking your hotels at the World Cup. So I always thought five was good. Granted, they got it by the skin of their teeth. But people, this this thing about playing in CONCACAF, and maybe it's not as hostile as it was. I think we had a, we got down some traps as we covered it because they're going to go to El Salvador and they're going to get urine and this. I didn't see that. I wasn't there, but I talked to some people who were and they didn't really see that. So we kind of pushed that on, but it's still a very difficult place to play. But it was a, it was a nice reminder that you can't just come off these. It's not a nice reminder. It's a, it was an all too real reminder because look, if we don't qualify for the world cup, this would be a mark on our sport. That I don't think we could recover anytime soon, especially with the 2026 world cup, we'd get there, but it would just be such a downer. So it's a yeah. huge responsibility. And I think these kids felt it and you know, they're, they're playing at these top clubs. They don't have a, they really don't have any cares off the field because everything's taken care of. And now they have to go into a much different situation to think this, it would have been different for this group than it would have been for the 2007 group or the 2000, no, I mean the 2017 group or the 2013, et cetera, is naive and folly. So uh, yeah. I, I'm glad the way they, they uh, were able to muscle through. And I'd also say, as I get your, your thoughts on it, Good moment for MLS because I think in that Honduras game, these MLS players, because we, I think yeah. we get mesmerized with the European-based players, and many of those guys were MLS prior. But when you see Matt Turner and uh, Ricardo Pepe, who's obviously going to be in Europe before you know it, uh, Miles Robinson, Sebastian Legette comes off the bench. You see those guys help fill the gaps was pretty telling in my estimation as well. So obviously it's a good news. We're far from guaranteed a spot in the World Cup. I think that's abundantly clear. But that 45 minutes, I know we're going to talk about it as the qualifying goes on because it was. It, I know it's going to be vital. Yeah. On the, on the plus side, Max, I look at it this way. 
Um, we have five points. Nine was not realistic. I mean, right. that was Tyler talking. Um, but I never thought nine points because I watched El Salvador. I saw what Hugo Perez did <clears throat> during, um, uh, not Gold Cup. Yeah, Gold Cup. Uh, I saw what, what that team looked like under Hugo. And I thought playing in El Salvador and under Hugo's direction, hey, that's not a guaranteed win. That might be a draw, right? Canada, Canada's getting good, right? I still yeah, thought- that's established. Yes, I, I thought, yes, we'll beat Canada only because it was at home, right? But I still thought we could lose to Canada as well, right? We could, right? Canada's very good. And then I thought Honduras, you know, they're not as good maybe as they have been. You know, I mean, if you're still playing, you know, minor Figueroa, or, you know, big time minutes, and I don't know if he was on the roster the last time, but Boniac Garcia has been on the roster. They don't seem to be, you know, replacing um, that older generation. So I thought, oh, Honduras, maybe you could get a draw. But I, I didn't go in there thinking nine points, six, seven. I, I had no thoughts of it, right? Um, but after the first two games, I was thinking the way they're playing, they may have two points yeah. after three games, right? But I still was not ready to hit the panic button because there's 11 games, right? Still left to go. It's, um, it's a marathon, right? It's not a sprint. It used and, to be a sprint in the old format. Now it was 10 games. It's 14 games. Yeah, so, yeah. And everybody's kind of in the same boat, right? So, um, my frustration is this, I, and I've said this before, this is the most individual talent. I have to use the word individual. Now I've been saying talent. I will say this is the most individual talent I have ever seen young talent on a U.S. team in my lifetime since I've covered soccer, which is in the 80s, right? So if you want to throw 2002 at me, okay, but they couldn't go this deep with, with younger players. And where were those guys playing? Were they playing on the club teams that we're seeing our guys playing on now? Like Pulisic, Adams, McKinney. Reina, you know, like these guys are all playing it at big time clubs, right? So the individual individual talent is there better than I've ever seen, but I've yet to see them play as a team, mm -hmm. except for maybe that second half of the, of the Honduras game. Right. And I think that's the final piece of the puzzle, right? You know, how do you get uh, your team to play as a team? It's just like, if you think about preseason for your, your LAFC team, Bob Bradley's, gearing everything up for the regular season, right? When they start preseason, he's not ready, right? The team is not ready, but he's building, he's building. So that game one, you know, they're looking more like a team. And on a national team level, it's even more difficult because when Bob is coaching a club team, he's got him in every day, all year, pretty much, right? They get a brief vacation, if you want to call it that. And then, you know, then they're back working, whether it's meetings, lifting, um, video work, whatever it is, these guys are pretty much, that's their full-time gig for 12 months. For the national team, Greg gets him in there for X amount of days ahead of the game. And with COVID and injury, he doesn't even have them all. And now he, he wants to play a certain way. And how do you get them to play that way? And how do you get them to play as a team? So I, I still think it's a work in progress. Individual talent, best I've ever seen on a U.S. team. Now the question is, how do they play as a team, especially since they have been missing, in my opinion, you give me yours, that one striker. They've been missing him. Is an 18-year-old the answer? I don't know if he is or not, 
but I'm sign me up as as a person that's willing to find out. Well, we piled on it and we did this with Daryl DK and it, to a lesser degree with Josh Sargent, who was like the golden boy. And he was always oh, going to Europe and he hasn't been able to score. And Daryl DK at the Gold Cup, we're like, whoa, he's not right. ready. And, and we just said, OK, and I, I'm guilty of it, too. I go, Ricardo Pepe, because I there's something different about about him, I think. And him being the youngest of the bunch as well uh, with, you know, DK went to university and has had a couple of years under his belt. Josh Sargent has done it all and played four or five years. Now he's in the premier league, although not playing a lot, but it's, uh, it's interesting. He seems like he can take the, uh, the pressure. And that was a huge answer. And his goal was fantastic, but we'll be very lucky if he delivers. Right. He did other stuff too. It wasn't just the goal, but, but what a great opportunity this is for him. Right. You threw him in, in Honduras, right? It's, it's a tough game on its own. Team is not doing well. And an 18-year-old lifts them and carries them. Uh, probably he has no fear, like, like young people are, right? And to me, that job is open. And uh, we're all guilty of this, Max. I mean, when we see a guy, we'll say, yeah, he's a national team player. Well, you know, is he? Like, we just saw him play one game, two games, three, whatever it is, right? But we all... We all do that. And somebody will ask our opinion. You know, do you think he's a national team player? And, and we're quick to say, you know, yes, he is, right? So um, when people tell me how great Ricardo Pepe is, you know, I'm kind of being careful. I'm saying, I agree. Fantastic, amazing talent. He's red hot. He's doing it at FC Dallas on a, on a club that's, you know, it's not a great club at all, you know. Uh, he's doing it at a club that has been struggling, but let's see a few more games, right? I mean, if the next game he scores or looks really good, and then the next game and the next game, you know, uh, if he has a, an off game, that doesn't mean he's not going to be a good player or great player, right? Doesn't mean that at all. But we should always be just, I don't know, put the pause button sometimes on it. Um, we all want to be on that hype train, right? Sure. I thought DK was going to be the guy. And he still as, might as did be. I. Right? He still might be. He's got all the yes. tools, right? Good kid, too. Uh, we've interviewed him a few times. Uh, really good kid. Um, I think he's got a future on the national team. But if Pepe starts to score, and I'll, I'll riddle you another one. Who's the number one goalkeeper now? Oh, Turner. I think, see, but if, if Zach Steffen gets in there, I will be a little peeved because it's just, unfortunately for Zach, and he's not playing at the club level, I don't see how you, you switch because of the, the way he's played. He's playing all the time. Yeah. And Zach needed to really come into this camp, and unfortunately he got COVID. That's just, yeah. unfortunately, a real bad break. So I agree. I, I'm a, uh, I, I never thought that Turner – would get this far this quickly, but I will, I will tell you this, your He's, friend and mine, the breaks have fallen his way. He's had, it's like been a serendipity but, on his way to this. But this is true. Your friend and mine, Brad Friedel, three years ago, um, Brad, Brad's a good guy. I like Brad, but Brad had told me one time when we were colleagues, he said, if I ever coach, he said, don't ever ask me for the starting 11. He says, cause I'm, I'm not going to give it right. <laughs> And I said, Brad, I said, don't worry. I said, I'm not even going to ask you for it. And he said, good. Uh, he says, I'll help you in any way I can. He said, but I don't, I don't believe that's the way I grew up. I don't give out starting lineup, right? So first game, Philadelphia is playing New England. And I talked to him the night before. 
And he's giving me everything, including the weather report, because New England, they had serious wins there. And, and he's telling me he doesn't think they can even make the game. So he's giving me everything but the 11, right? So we play the next day. As I remember, Philly won. Uh, and Matt Turner played in goal. He was the third goalkeeper on that team, right? So now I'm confused, right? Matt Turner's in goal. The game is over. I called Brad on the phone later and I said, Brad, I, I said, I really have to ask you. I said, you know, I know you didn't want to give up the starting lineup. I said, but why did you start Matt Turner? And he said to me, I, I know everybody thinks he's the number three. He said, but he, he has been by far the best goalkeeper in camp. And he said to me, JP, he said, you're going to see this kid on the national team one day. And I thought, he's crazy. I, I didn't, you know, I mean, that's high praise, right? I hadn't seen him play a game and or one game. And Brad Friedel is saying to me, he is going to be a national team goalkeeper. I never forgot that because he called it, right? And, yeah. and you're right. Matt did get some breaks along the way, including uh, – this last one, but as you know it, in, even in our business, right? It's it's not about the break you get; it's what you do with that break, right? If somebody opens a door for you, you have to make sure that door stays open, that it doesn't get slammed in your face, right? So here's Matt Turner doing; he can only control himself, right? So let let the media, let the fan base talk about who should be the number one goalkeeper, right? But if you're a Greg Berhalter, uh, if Zach Steffen is not playing. And Matt Turner is playing, you know, in their respective leagues. And Matt Turner is playing at a high level. I don't see how you can make that switch. Now, if Matt Turner is struggling with New England and Zach Steffen gets to play, you know, that's, that's a different story. But to me, the safe bet is if Matt Turner is playing well, you got to at least give him the next start, right? I, I understand coaches will say, I don't want a player to lose a job, you know, because of injury, you know, or illness. I, I understand that. I understand that, but you know, you're trying Too serious to serious now. It's yeah. It's business. Best, yeah. You want to put the best lineup out there on the field. Right. And today, today, Matt Turner gives them the best chance to win today. May not be tomorrow, may not be next month, but today it's, it's tough to argue against what Matt Turner's done. That's a great story about Friedel. And I, I could remember the two or three times. of form- Well, I, I've had the same thing in the one, and I can't remember who told me, but there was guys who go, and to a lesser degree, so we have Steve Chirindolo who coaches the Las Vegas Lights, huge American talent. And I was like, hey, who's out there? And this was like at the beginning of the season that you like. He goes, man, this Mamadou Fall guy has got the goods. I go, Mamadou, who's that? He's starting for LAFC now. Yeah. He looks great. Scored, he scored two yeah. goals. And yeah. Chirindolo yeah. told me that three months ago. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you got to take that for face value. But someone also said that to me about Stu Holden. And maybe it was Christopher Sullivan. I was working. He goes, he's a national team player. I go, what? Cause he was the backup midfielder at the dynamo. Yeah. He goes, he's a national yeah. team player. The way he plays, he's great. This, this. And yeah. then I saw the trajectory. I'm like, what, how did you know yeah. that? That they know Yeah. they really are great some students people, of the game. Yeah. Some people said, uh, you know, Brendan Aronson, he's going to be in the national team, you know, and the, the first year when I watched him, I thought, you know, yeah, he's got, he's got potential. Did I see this? Uh, uh-uh. no, I saw it last year. You know, because he, I thought he made great strides from his first year uh, to his second year with the union and, and getting more playing time and all that. But um, I think Brendan has even exceeded the expectations now. He's, he's refined the one part of his game that I think was missing. He would 
think about passing all the time and, and shooting would be like the very last option. And now he's got so much confidence and he knows that that's like the next step to make him a star player. I think he's going to be one of the better players on this roster this year and in the years ahead. Yeah, and he's doing great at his new club in Austria. Every time I look at the box scores or and I watch a little bit because you can get those games now, he pops off the yeah. screen. And doing something. I'll yeah. do it. We'll, we'll wrap up this U.S. soccer and I'll do a double barrel question, which is a no-no. And they're not they don't have anything to do with each other. But I wanted to talk about the striker situation. But I get the feeling that we we kind of put in an 11 that we we think we're going to see. And the Honduras second half tells me that when push comes to shove and they need a result, don't be surprised. And, and I th- you know, John Brooks is getting a lot of criticism, but we put him in as a center back. But maybe he doesn't quite work with the system they want to play. And then all of a sudden you might have an 11 that perhaps doesn't have a Gio Reyna, for instance, or a Christian Pulisic, because you'll have an 11 that works. And they're going to have to have some grown-up conversations. And I know Berhalt, Greg Berhalt is going to think that because it's his, it's his backside on the line. And he knows the pressure here. And I, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that if they have a bad October, they're going to get a new coach because it's too – usually the U.S. Doesn't, uh, wouldn't do it that way, but I think there's too much at stake here. they got to see progress and development. And I think that puts Greg in a situation where he has to go with maybe a, an 11 that you wouldn't see – as the best 11 players, but maybe the ones that work together best. So I think it's all up for grabs and I get your thoughts on that, but I also want to talk about the strikers and I'm always surprised that we don't develop strikers here as much. I mean, my son plays and I just watched his game this weekend. He's not a very good player, but he, he, he works hard, but everyone wants to score goals. Every kid wants to score goals. So they're all up there, by the way, they, they just got to head balls. I don't know if, if, in the i know in other countries kids are heading balls when they're five years old we don't do that and i'm not saying they should it, it is yeah, so true. i don't know if that's got something to do with it but it feels like it's an uphill battle we had brian mcbride we had josie Altador. they're all good but i get the feeling is it going to be continue to be a, a situation we're lucky we have a creative midfielder like polisic because we don't really develop a lot of those and then yeah. the, the meat and potatoes good goalies good fullbacks good central mids but those creative side guys and the guys who score that's uh something we need yeah it's hard harder to find i think max in the first part of, of you know what you're saying um if i think about basketball sometimes people will say whether it's college or, or nba you know it's not the guys that start the game but it's the guys that finish the game right when the game's on the line like who who's there yeah this guy's a sixth man but but the last 10 minutes of a game he's always out there right and when i think about you know coaches that i've been close to Sometimes I'll say to them, you know, why did you, why did you pick, you know, this team? And they will say to me, you know, it's not my best 11. Uh, I know I'm sitting, you know, two or three guys out, not my best 11, but it's the best 11 that played together as a group. You know, it's giving me the best chance to win. And I, you know, when I think about that, um, when you think about like all-star games, right? Uh, How does anybody pick, you know, if you're, if you're playing, whether it's um, MLS versus League MX, whatever it is, right? You're picking, you've got 11 great players on one side, 11 great players on another side, and they've had two training sessions together. Well, how do the odds makers figure out who's going to win? Who's going to play better as a team, right? The team with the better individuals? No, not necessarily, right? So I think that, yeah, those are tough decisions, right? Because sometimes it is the system that you play, right? Um, like Philly likes to play the union in a 4-4-2 diamond. 
And they've had to change that formation, even though that's their preferred one, in order to play this guy and this guy at the same time, right? So they're willing to, to do that, you know, and, and Jim Curtin has said that to me before. It's my way to get the best 11 players on the field. It's not the formation that I prefer to play, but gives me a better chance, you know, to win. So I think Burhalter might have the same situation. I think the only thing that's different in his case is that I'm not a fan of the three games in a window. No. I hope it doesn't stick around. Brutal. I hope, yeah. Brutal for the players. Two games is fine. I think this is only because of COVID and, and jamming these games in. So hopefully, you know, in the next cycle, which we don't have to worry about, right? Because we're hosting um, uh, the next, yeah, the next World Cup. Um, I think that um, in that situation, playing the two games, resting players, you know, thinking about their recovery. Uh, and there's so much, there's so much on the line now, right? You know, you, you do want to be responsible to those club teams, right? I mean, I mean, if we, we sent all these guys back injured, Dest, yeah, Reina, yeah. and they all have Champions League coming up. They have Champions League games right. this week. So imagine the conversation. I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but like imagine a conversation between a foreign coach and Greg Berhalter when Greg sends a guy back that's injured and the coach says to Greg, why'd you start my guy three games mm -hmm. in eight days? You know, well, Greg's answer is probably I was trying to win. You know, I was trying to, I, I was trying to get some early wins so that maybe I don't have to bring him in next time or, you know, play him as much. Right. So there's so many factors that, that go into it. Right. Can, let's say it is John Brooks, for example, you know, can he play, three straight games in that situation. Maybe he's coming in and Greg knows he's not fully fit. Um, maybe he doesn't do well against the team that moves the ball around quickly, or maybe Greg wants to play five in the back instead of three or four in the back instead of three or five or, or whatever. So I, I think there's so many decisions. I don't envy Greg or any no. national team coach because it's not like a club team where, like I said, you're responsible for those players. They're your players, right? And it's the reverse, right? Like if LAFC, I say LAFC because, you know, that's your team and Philly's mine. Um, we lost Philly, seven players, played a game against New England. Not a bad game, lost 1-0, but seven players were out, right? So it's kind of the reverse in that situation. Jim Curtin is at the mercy of other national team players, and uh, national team coaches, and he's sending his players out, right? There's, there's so many things that you have to worry about as a, as a national team coach, you know, and, and you want the cooperation of the club teams. But if, you know, if Christian Pulisic, for example, keeps going back injured or <sighs> somebody else, Gio Reyna, keeps going back injured, at some point somebody might say, uh, you know what? Greg, you know, Gio's got a little, little tweak in the ankle here. We, we don't want to send him. Yeah, well, it's going to come to a head, and we've seen it with the Premier League, and it, it was odd, and the La Liga followed suit with, we, we, we can't send them because they have to clear the quarantine coming back. And oh, yeah. It wasn't, yeah. It, it, it wasn't consistent with every region, and you have to give faith to these, play, these coaches and these, and these federations to do what's best for the players, keep them safe. And guys are still going to get COVID, but I, I just – it's so many games that it's going to create. I think we're going to have more and more instances like that. And the clubs are paying these guys a lot of money. 
and they're gonna what what's gonna happen now there's just more games more fixtures to come on here i don't know i i'm i'm blown away i've never seen it like this jp in all the years there's oh we always have a chance to catch our breath i haven't caught my breath not that i want to i love all these games i haven't had a chance to catch my breath in five months six months yeah i think i think when the epl started again this year i said to somebody already like didn't they just didn't they just finish and that's the way it is with like all of these leagues you know they just all of a sudden, you know, they're starting. And it's going to happen with MLS, too. Think about this, Max. You've got our MLS Cup will be, what, in December this year, right? And with the World Cup being in Qatar next November, MLS and everybody else will want to finish, you know, as early as they can, right? Oh, boy. So that means MLS is going to start earlier, right? So how much of a break will the teams in the MLS Cup get if they finish in December and you might start late February. What about us That's broadcasters? What about us broadcasters? Yeah. When am I going to go sit on the beach or bust out my skis, hit the mountains? Hey, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm in Connecticut, so I'm not worried about the beaches. We have them here, but not like LA. Uh, oh. but, By the way, you know, one of what? sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, JP. No, no, no. no. It's your show. You go. <laughs> I was, it's, this has got nothing. There's a little ski mountain, a ski sundown in New Hartford. It was like 30 minutes from where I lived, and I really miss it because there was no one ever on there. It was like $23 during the week, and I'd go there, and I'd get my nice. my moment of clarity. Nice, nice, nice. Um, I'm not a fan, though, like I said, Max, of, you know, like three games in seven days. Even in MLS now, we're seeing that, right? We're seeing teams are three games in seven or three games in eight. I know they're chartering now, but it's a toll, you know, it really is a toll. And none of these MLS teams, I shouldn't say none, very few are, are that deep, right? That you could play three games in eight nights, rotate your squad and still have in that third game, what you would consider like a first rate team. Not possible, nope. you know, not with the, not with the number of players on the roster. When you consider that, like players, I know there's 30, right? But players 22 to 30 probably don't play, right? They're the lower end of your roster. So if that's who you're starting, there, there's no way that, that player number 25 is anywhere near as good as player 11, 12, 13 on your depth. That's right. That's why you have a depth chart. So I think it's hard for MLS. Um, they're growing. They're so much better than they have been in the past. They've increased the spending. So I think, I think the next step would be probably for, for MLS would be to um, spend more money like Liga MX does so that uh, the depth like Liga MX has would be the same as, as MLS has. That's where you really see the difference to me. I think sure. some of the MLS teams can match uh, um, Club America or whoever you want to pick. They're starting eleven. But when you start to go deeper, that's what I think, and, and CONCACAF Champions League has proven that, uh, besides the other, you know, early starts for one, late starts for another, et cetera. Um, but for the most part, from a talent standpoint, the difference between Liga MX and MLS is your bench. It's not your starting 11. Yeah, and we've we learned the same lessons time and time again. By the way, we barely scratched the surface on this. We could talk about this U.S. men's national team and, and how it applies to everything for – for hours, but I I wanted to get your uh, your thoughts on the and just my quick observation about the women's game and 
How many World Cup finals have you called now? It was, you know, and I, I know this business is weird, but to see Kent back on Fox and be able to call those things, it's just yeah. wonderful, wonderful. That's that's luck too, right? And, and of getting the break because you know I was working at ESPN when they had World Cups, and and then you know I go to Fox and they didn't have it then, and then you know one day you woke up and and saw that they had like the next three. So you know part of that has to be like good fortune, but. Yeah, the number that I have called, it's it's 15 World Cups total. It's nine men's, five five women's World Cups. And then you can bridge the 1999 to the 2019. And obviously the women's game is growing by leaps and bounds. I think with this last group, you know, and maybe the, the women's game after a World Cup, you look for that World Cup rub and it's there for a bit and it kind of fades away. I think it's here now. It's just the U.S. team. You know players one through twenty. Most people know, you know, it's not just Megan Rapino and Alex Morgan. It goes further down to the likes of Mallory Pugh and uh, Kelly O'Hara. That you know, 15, 20 people are firsthand names. And how does it develop here? I have one, I have one inkling and one theory that it's all great, and there is no doubt about it. And you will know more about this, but. American audience love to tune in and hear you call these games because they want to see the U.S. pound opponents. That's the appeal. And I get it. You want to go. They're going to come out and they're going to hurt people. And Americans love that. And I've seen the last, the 2011 World Cup where Japan won. And then 2015, the U.S. reversed that. And the 2019, it was held in Europe. And I thought these European teams like France and England and Germany were going to close the gap. And then, in fact, it went the other direction. So with this, this, the league, the NWSL, and here in LA and seeing what Angel City is doing and this huge rollout about the signing of Kristen Press, people getting so pumped for it. It's in great status. To me, the one thing that has to happen, and maybe the American audience doesn't want to see this, but I, I, it will engage them still, is that, and we saw it in the Olympics with Canada breaking through, but I, I try not to compare the Olympics and the World Cup. Uh, you know, I, the, the World Cup's a different level. The Olympics are great for the women's game, certainly more so than the men's. But is these countries to develop the stars and beat the U.S.? And I missed that opportunity because I think when that happens and the U.S. has a proper foil and a target and someone to push that, I, I, I think it takes it to the next stratosphere. But that's not the U.S.'s responsibility. They're getting better and better. And we haven't seen the next group of young players, and they're going to be incredible. Yeah. But the rest of the world's got to keep pace. And yeah. the Olympics think- was a good indicator, or it could have just got the U.S. upset. But I, that's the one thing I want to see over the next few years. And certainly in the next World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, well, first of all... Still, the still pulling for the U.S., obviously, but you want to see that yeah, for the yeah. better will of the, the women's game. Yeah, the American women are rock stars, right? I mean, everybody knows these players, right? And, and the crowds that they draw are fantastic. The television numbers that they draw are fantastic. I mean, we're blessed, right? I mean, we went from, you know, the generation of, of Mia Hamm, Julie Foudy, you know, um, Christine Lilly, Michelle Akers, you know, when you name names, you forget some, Abby Wambach, you know, we transitioned when Mia was leaving, here was Abby, you know, ready to take the mantle, right? And then when Abby's leaving, you've got Alex Morgan as, as somebody else, right? Uh, and now we might have uh, Macario is the next one, like who knows, right? It just seems like on the women's uh, side- Rodman, who's, uh, who's got all that appeal yeah. as well. Yeah, I saw, I saw her actually in, in person. I, I like, you know, what she brings uh, and remember, no college experience, right? So this is her first year, you know, playing at, at this level, right? And, and she's got so much potential. Uh, but I, I think that unlike the men's game, 
our colleges on the women's side are, are more geared to developing players, right? Like our most of our players, right, if not all, have come from the college game. Whereas in MLS, not the case, right? Or the men's national team, not the case, right? But there's something about the women's game, whether it's <clears throat> the powerhouses like UNC or, or Stanford or Santa Clara, you know, or the, or the don't forget down don't forget my Florida State Seminoles. I'm We're getting. Ready to say, <laughs> uh, sometimes I get Florida State and Florida mixed up, and I didn't want to do that. So Florida State Seminoles. That's uh, all we have now, JP, because Florida State football is terrible. Uh, they yeah. they just awful this weekend. So I'm all with the women's soccer team and yeah. the basketball team. Bring it on. That's all I got. Yeah. So they produce some some great players who go right from the college game right into the starting eleven with an NWSL team and right onto the starting lineup. You know, for the U.S. Women's National Team, right? So we've been lucky in that from the day that Mia Hamm and others left, there was always somebody else, right? So we didn't, I'd say we, you know, we're Americans, so I, I can say we. Yes. Uh, you know, we, we as a country didn't have to rebuild. I don't even think we had to reload. I, I think we just continued, you know, what we were doing, right, with, with the development of these players. And now I, I think this is another um, fork in the road, if you will, right? They're coming off a loss in the Olympics, when I say a loss, they won a bronze medal, and that's good, right? That was a good response by them to get back on their feet and Absolutely. get that. They should get Absolutely. a lot of credit for that. Absolutely. People will criticize because they say they should have won. Um, that's the standard they've said. <laughs> yeah, but that's not – it's not their right. You know what I mean? It's not their obligation. They're trying to win. Believe us. <laughs> you know, they're, they want to win every game. And like you said – by as dominating a performance as they can, right? But this was not their tournament. Sometimes those are the breaks. Sometimes things go that way. I The only point I disputed was when people were saying in the beginning, you know, they're an old team. Um, they were too old. Age was a factor. Age was not a factor. They lost that first game badly. That has nothing to do with age. Age shows towards the end of a tournament, right? When you get to the knockout stage, sure. now you're, now you've already played three or four games and your legs are tired and mentally you're down. Um, their first game, they were terrible. That was probably the worst game. I don't remember them playing a game like that. I can't remember one, not in the last decade, right? So they didn't start well, and then they never rebounded from it, right? Uh, Julie Ertz was never 100%. Um, none of the players uh, individually played up to their level they will admit to that right so there were games that i broadcast where the u.s team played and i would say you know they didn't look that good but they won right or only three or four players had a good game but they won but you, you look at some of those olympic games and you would say no one had a good game not one you know what i mean so like even the greatness of one player couldn't lift them because collectively, you know, they just didn't have it, right? So now the fork in the road comes this way. While I agree with you that the Olympics and World Cup are different, it's the same team, right? Yep. Like, unlike, unlike the men. It's very consistent. Where, you know, yeah. Like, unlike the men, where it's um, uh, like in the Olympics with the men, you know, you have the three overage players, right? It's basically a young team. With the women, it's full teams. But it's not like the World Cup because, you know, Germany wasn't there. Uh, France wasn't there because of their crazy non-qualifying rules, right? If you finished in the top number in the World Cup, 
you automatically qualified for the Olympics. So there was no World Cup or no, sorry, no Olympic qualifying for some of those great teams that could have played in this, right? But that's the full U.S. squad. So the fork in the road for me comes this way in the sense that Carly Lloyd has just announced she's retiring. Um, I don't have the ages in front of me, but I believe Rapino is 35 or 36. Uh, Becky Sauerbrunn is 36, as I recall. And some of them are like 33, but they have 150 caps. So maybe a tread yeah. issue. Like, 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 like Kelly O'Hara is terrific, right? And she's younger, but she's had a lot of injuries, you know, over her career. And Tobin Heath, you know, is the same. So uh, the fork in the road to me is this, you know, how many players will either walk away on their own or will be changed because Vladko Andonovsky says, you know, we're starting the next cycle. This is how I want to do it, right? So how many of these players are you replacing? I would, I would argue this. I think you can replace all of these players individually, some much harder than others, but, you know, you could replace them, but not five or six at one time. You know what I mean? If, if everybody that was age 33 and over said to U.S. soccer, I'm out, I don't think we're number one anymore. Wow. Not that, not that it's a bit quickly. of a drop. Yeah. Yeah. Not that quickly. Right. You can't drop like six starters. You know what I mean? And, and I don't think that's going to happen. You know, Carly Lloyd said that, you know, she's not going to play uh, after that, this. That had to be a tough decision for her because I know she oh, just works. Oh my God. Yeah. And I think, I think I told her this the other day. It's great that she got to call her own number. I think all the greats Respect, should have yeah. that opportunity. Right. Because she can still play. There's no doubt she can still play. Tom Brady's 45. <laughs> I watched him the other night. He's fantastic, right? It's and not I'm not fair. saying she can play until 45, but, you know, she's young compared to Brady, right? So uh, that had to be a tough decision for her. You know, there'll be mixed emotions for sure. But I think she's in a very, very good place. Probably the best place she's ever been, you know, mentally and physically uh, combined. And, and she knows, you know, that it's time and, and she could be the only one, you know, we might see the rest of this group because, you know, this is 2021, the next world cup is in two years. Right. So I think every player that I mentioned to you could conceivably still be on that team, unless black Randonofsky decides, you know, to go in another direction. But I, I think the fork in the road though is, is here and is coming because at some point you do need to be younger, faster, maybe more versatile. Uh, you need that because I do think, Max, I do, do think the rest of the world is, is catching up. There were games in the World Cup in 2019. Uh, I'm not talking, obviously, about the Thailand game, but the France game could have gone either way. If, if England, if Alyssa Nair doesn't make a save on a penalty kick, England might be winning that game. The Netherlands game, Netherlands was a great team, right? I mean, it's not like the U.S. dominated. Yeah, they dominated, you know, some of those teams in the early stages, right? But that France game could have gone either way, right? And then people might not be talking about how great this team was, you know, winning back-to-back -back World Cups. So I do think the rest of the world is catching up. You know, I think France is very good. I think Germany is very good. Sweden showed you, you know, what they were made of in the Olympics. Canada, like they are on the men's side, are good. Uh, and don't don't turn your eyes away from Spain because they were, to me, the biggest surprise of the 2019 Women's World Cup. If they invest money in this game, 
and they are at the club That's level. That's the key. At some point, they will be there. I think at some point, Italy realizes the same and that they will be there. And Mexico, with a recent uh, coaching change on the women's side, I think that there's no reason why Mexico can't be a much better national team than they currently are. And I think they are on their way making these smaller steps that will turn into bigger steps that will get them to a point where, you know, USA, Mexico, and Canada in CONCACAF, I'd love it if it was a toss-up, right? You don't need the blowouts. No. And it falls on Mexico because Canada, I mean, you, you talk about investing in the game and Brazil has it and they're, they're limited and it's, it's, it's hurt their development. Even though they have right. Pia Suntaga down there, it's, it's hurt their development, but you, you need to see this. And certainly you, the European teams will get there and they have leagues and there's money to be made. And that makes a big difference. Yeah. You say, yeah. I can make a living on this. I'm doing it. Look at what England is doing now with their women's league, right? They're competing with some of the best players in the world with, with NWSL, you know, and, and look at the French league and how good they are. So I, I think that, uh, first of all, you know, from a, from a fairness standpoint, why aren't federations spending more money on the women's side, right? Why, why are we spending all this money on the men's side and the women get shortchanged? That's wrong in principle, right? But if you want to, if you want to say you're not for, you know, equal freedom or equal choice, if you want to say you're against all of that, can't you still see the financial part of it? Like, you know, don't- Yeah, that should be clear as day. If you're, if you're from the dark ages and you don't like the women's game, but you can make money in it, you know, like why, why are you not even for your own business reasons doing it? But I mean, just from a fairness standpoint, you know, we, we should be spending money on our women's game like we are on the men's side. Why, why aren't we in, in some of these countries? Yeah, and we should also be spending money on the indoor game and the game ASL. <laughs> what a nice segue, Max. Thank, thank you for remembering that. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot to plug my, my indoor gig. Here I we forgot. go. What, what's, right, what you got brewing there? All right, so uh, myself, Shep Messing, and Keith Tozer, all three of us are, are in charge, you know, with, with help of our executive committee, uh, staff and, and owners of the major arena soccer league. Um, we are still formulating our schedule and the number of teams af after, you know, the COVID situation last year, they only ended up with uh, seven teams, as I recall, playing last year and they didn't play a, a full season, but uh, we're all optimistic that we can bring the, the indoor game back max to when you were a kid. Oh man, uh, I remember it. Uh, and who were like Hector Marinaro that was on ESPN all the time. Uh, Steve, Steve Zungle. Bronco Sagoda, <laughs> Legends, Precky. Step Messing, Precky. You know, we were broadcasting games when Precky was like 18. Um, and he was fantastic then, you know, as he was later, you know. But those San Diego soccer teams were loaded. And, you know, it's a different time, right, Max? So we're not saying, well, it'll get back to the old days where, where the St. Louis Steamers got 18,000 a game. We're not saying that, you know. But, but can they draw a lot more than they have in the last several years? Yes. You know, can we have a better TV deal, streaming deal than the last several years? Yes. Can we get more sponsors? Yes. Like all the answers are yes. And what we want to do in our first year is improve every level of MASL on the field and off the field by 20 to 30%. And to us, that's better than 
taking one area, making it 80% better or 100% better, and then we neglected all these other areas, right? If we can go 20 to 30%, make our website better, uh, make our involvement in communities 20% better, engage with the fans 20% better, have more media coverage 20%, 30% better, uh, we're on our way to something special. And all three of us have a passion, a love for the game, uh, and that's why we're doing it. You know, we'd love to get it back to, to those days. And we see what, what like Major League Soccer has done. We're, we're not going to be, you know, Major League Soccer, Max, but I'm looking at numbers that I wrote down in front of me. When the Philadelphia Union joined in 2010, their expansion fee was $30 million. Right now, it's like over $200 million, yeah. right? And that's yeah. over a decade. Close to right? 250 Yeah, that's over a decade, right? So, you know, we're not that ambitious that we could say, yeah, we're going to raise it from this, you know, to this. But we are going to raise the stakes and we are going to make this league better. And when we do, we will be able to not only command more money for an expansion franchise, but we will have um, big investors, big money people from other leagues that remember how good indoor soccer was and see this as something that might work in their building and they will want to come on board with us. Are you ready, Max? Yeah, count me in. Listen, I, I had a close look at the MASL because I had a friend, uh, Christian Philly, who was looking to do work with the Ontario Fury. And I go, it's a nice little business plan. It's small, but there's opportunity for expanding and there's stadiums that need tenants. And yeah, if you, if you make these players whole and obviously more money coming in is more money you can pass on. I think you got something nice there. It's a good little league. And it's it stands it stands yeah. there where it can it can branch out. And I think the the connection to Mexico is very cool. It, there, there's going to be places that are going to be into it, and that can you know high tide raises all boats. Yeah, I'm on board, man. Work, your friend Philly works for the Ontario team, and he does podcasts. And I'm supposed to be on with him actually this week. Yeah, on his podcast. I told him take ownership of that because you'll be happy because that a those any league loves when you come in and you talk them up. They're eternally grateful. So if you have more yeah. people say that and it's passionate to them, people listen. So right. it's a, I think it's a good time for that. Like I'll keep an eye on it. Maybe I'll uh, come over and we can uh, collaborate a little bit. Absolutely. JP, I, again, I could talk for hours. I appreciate your time. Uh, we'll have to do this again and pick up where we left off. A lot of fun stories in our, our business. And again, if you're into, if you're getting started in the business or you need, uh, uh, a look at how to do things the right way and where you should be putting your time in. You know, JP is a, is a wonderful resource. And I want to talk about that too, because I think it'd be a great resource if we both get in there and talk to these, to these great young talent people that want to get into this sport. Cause it's, it's changed a lot since we started at it. And uh, it's been fun to see that. And I'm excited to see where it goes from there. Yeah. Always willing to help uh, young people uh, as you are, Max, you know, get involved in the game and, and advance their careers right now. You know, the good news is that there is so much more opportunity for them. The bad news is that there are so many more people that want to do this. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? Like, for, before it was just me, you, Tommy, and Derek Ray. Yeah. And Glenn. You know, like, <laughs> hey, Max, I started doing um, college basketball years ago because I was the only one doing soccer at that time. And I, and I thought to myself, if, if this goes away, right, it was indoor soccer. And I thought, you know, if this goes away, I'm out of a job, right? If this changes networks, I'm out of a job. If it stays on this network and for any reason they want somebody else, 
I'm out. You know, there's no other job, you know, like now you've got all these MLS teams, right? You know, you, if you lose a job with an MLS team, there's other MLS teams, right? There's USL teams. Now there's indoor soccer teams. There's the national women's soccer league. There's all kinds of networks out there. There's college soccer, there's streaming, there's international stuff. You know, there's so much out there now that so many of us really make a full-time living doing this. Whereas back then I was the only one. And if I told you what I was making, it, it was not called <laughs> it a full-time living max. Yeah. It, but it, it was not. The difference between what I made year one and now is quite different. So yeah. it's good that you can make a proper yeah. living. Yeah. Kids getting out of college now that are working probably in, in USL are probably making more than I did. I would say from 1982 to 86 when I was doing a lot of this stuff. Oh, JP Telecamera joining me in the business end of the OG. He is the true OG. Appreciate you, JP. We'll be back with Stoppage Time. We have a giveaway on Stoppage Time, so tune in. I'm going to let you know how you can win really cool gear from Bumpy Pitch. appreciate jp joining us and i went long and i don't want to go longer than an hour and a few minutes on this podcast that's that's the sweet spot for me so i'm gonna condense here stoppage time but if you joined me on the soccer og youtube program and i had a giveaway for a beautiful bumpy pitch pullover this is what you got to do i will post this podcast on twitter my twitter handle you don't have to follow me but just look for the post it'll come down where i'll I will present this podcast, and all you got to do is retweet that and quote retweet the following. I'm only going to do it with cool little soccer expressions that we've grown out to appreciate over the years. And this one this week is the cat amongst the pigeons. So quote retweet my Soccer OG podcast with the cat amongst the pigeons. People will be going, what the heck's going on there? Especially if we get enough of them. Uh, the first 50 people will be considered, and I will get out that beautiful pullover to you ASAP. That's all the time we have. We will talk about the World Cup every two years, a biennial World Cup. It's a fascinating uh, development and idea. There's going to be so much energy pushed for it and against it. We'll get to that. And you can also watch me on the YouTube under Max Bretos. Talk about it right now. I will be posting that this evening, this evening being Monday. As I always like to, even though it is a Monday, tell you, the great supporters of the pod, Placido Domingo.